With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We lived in the suburbs of a major American city now. Both my parents grew up in the tiny towns. My father is a little Colorado mountain town. My mother in a tiny little village in northern Mexico. They both like to whack nostalgia fairly often. Sometimes they make me wish that I'd grown up in a little town where everybody knew each other. It's no crime. You went swimming in the creek after school. Circus was actually a big deal. But anyway, um, on to the spooky part. And I figured made this all a good fit for the, this. Well, my, my mother used to tell me a scary story when I was little. Mostly stories that she'd brought back from her little town, uh, Fuente Negra. Um, stories like... The girl that danced with the devil, uh, which is fire, the dog from hell, etc. But, but the scariest, according to her, wasn't an old folktale, but something that actually happened when she was a little girl. When my mother was about four or five, I guess, this, this would have been the late 50s, early 60s, a family was murdered. Like I said, this was a tiny town where there was hardly any crime, except sometimes maybe some teenage boys would get bored and drunk and break into the schoolhouse or something. So the murder of the Rosales family was a uh, pretty big deal. They were my mother's next-door neighbors. When she would tell me this story, it was never fun spooky like the other stories. It was sad. She said the Rosaleses had a... They had a daughter at the time, Carmela, about 15 years old. She was my mother's babysitter, and my mother loved her. She might have been only five or so when she died, but she tells me she'll never forget the poor girl's face. How sweet she was. It's delicious little cakes she'd bring every time she came over. One day, Mr. Rosales didn't come out to work. This was harvest season when all the men would uh, be out in the fields, so it was bizarre. He just didn't show. Yeah, but whatever, maybe he'd woken up sick as a dog. No one saw anything of Camilla or her mother. So that evening, my grandfather went over to check on them. The house was locked up tight. All the curtains were drawn. There was a lamp lit inside somewhere. You heard someone moving inside. Uh, the rational assumption would have been that they were fine. You know, there was some perfectly good reason they hadn't been out today. You could hear them moving around in there. But something scared him. My grandfather was always one of those follow-your-gut types. He was an old farmer, a hunter, after all. So he didn't go in. He went and rounded up some five or six other men who laughed at him at first, but agreed to come along after seeing how shaken up he was. Brought a few revolvers just in case, feeling very silly about it all. Um, and they knocked. No answer. No one was moving in there anymore. They, they kept knocking. They knocked at the windows. 
After maybe about 10 minutes of this, they kicked in the door. There was all his family was all there. It's like they were scattered throughout every room of the house. They were butchered. On the table in the center of the room sat a single lantern without its shade, burning bright. My mother would never tell me details. I pressed her, but she said she didn't know any. She was a five-year-old girl, after all. No one was going to share with her the brutal minutia of a mass murder. All she knew was that her mother sat her down with tears in her eyes and said Carmela wouldn't be coming over anymore. I really have to stress what a tiny place this was. Even in the 50s, there was no electricity, no paved roads, no telephones, no cars, etc., and no police force. But from what I'm told, the villagers made an admirable effort to investigate the slayings, considering they were all just farmers way over their heads. They questioned almost everyone in town. They tried to deduce at roughly what time the Rosales family had been slaughtered. They tried to pin down a suspect by process of elimination. They, um... They eventually went over to the village healer. Yeah, really. And they asked her for help. She admitted she knew nothing except... But she told my grandfather that he was right not to go into the house when he first arrived. Or else, she warned. Things would have been much worse. My mother's family was questioned most thoroughly of all. Even though my grandfather had been the one who'd found them, it was only natural as they were next-door neighbors. No one in my family's house had ever heard anything the night they were killed, or seen anything, or even felt anything. Or even felt anything was amiss. My mother tells me the bed in which she slept was right up against the window that opened on the Rosales house. Of course, an aging woman's memory of when she was five is not the most reliable thing, but she swears to me she heard nothing out of the ordinary the entire night. Nothing at all. Not so much as a scrape or a shout from next door. They never caught whoever killed the Rosales family. I don't know if they ever tried contacting one of the larger towns or even the capital to ask for help. They did, I don't think they ever got an answer. Puente Negra lived in terror for months afterwards. Nothing like this had ever happened before. My grandfather sat up every night with a shotgun for weeks. When he couldn't, one of my uncles, um, who were then a teenager, they did. They weren't the only ones in town either. But you know, life goes on. Nothing like this ever happened again. They buried the Rosaleses, they tore down their house. Seems like an invitation of bad luck to leave it up. They moved on. In the early 70s, my mother's family came to the U.S. Then there's my father. My father grew up in a little Colorado town called Black Hook. This town was not quite so backwards as my mother's. They had telephones, they had cars, though. Only the main road was paved, and only recently. Like my mother, he, he had his fair share of spooky, funny, sad, small-town stories. This one he never told me until about three weeks ago. Um... I was home from college for the weekend, and we were just talking. He was telling me stories from back in the day. I asked him what the worst thing that had ever happened in Black Hook was. He says, definitely the Douglases. I said that he'd never mentioned the Douglases before. He looked surprised, because he was sure that he had. I assured him, I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, oh, well, they were murdered. I didn't even think of the Rosaleses at this point. I, I asked him to tell me the story. He looked uncomfortable. Told me the Douglases were a family of four, mother, father, teenage daughter, young son, father's age. Said Billy Douglas, the son, was his friend. They were about eight years old when it happened. This was 1958 or 59, I think. 
He remembered all the boys liked to go over to the Douglas house because they had crushes on Billy's big sister, Carrie. You know how the next part goes. One day, Billy and Carrie didn't come to school. Their father didn't go to work. It wasn't my grandfather who discovered them this time, thank God. Unfortunately, it was some 16-year-old kid, Carrie's boyfriend. My father used the same word to describe them as my mother. He said the Douglases were butchered. Pieces all over the house. There was a police force, however small, in Black Hook. All three of them were on it. Of course, that wasn't enough. Unlike the poor people of Fuente Negra, they... They got help from outside. An FBI agent or two actually came in, according to my dad. It's like Fuente Negra. Fathers started sitting up with rifles and shotguns. Didn't do anyone much good. The good folks of Black Hook had no better luck than those down in Mexico. Whoever had murdered the Douglases slipped off in the night. Somehow, I still wasn't thinking of the Rosaleses, but my father, unlike my mother, was able to furnish more details. Now, one of his other boyhood friends, uh, Danny Schaefer, was the son of the town's chief of police. A few years later, when the boys were in high school, my father found himself hanging at Danny's house. Chief Schaefer came home early, drunk. He didn't like to talk about the Douglases, but drink had loosened him up. My father and his friends got curious. Billy had been their friend. I mean, Billy had been their. I mean, Billy had been their friend after all. So they pushed him on the details of the case. He talked, a little. Chief Schaefer said Carrie's boyfriend had come into the station, stammering, vomit covering the front of his shirt. That scared the guys on duty enough on its own. And then the boy said that Douglases were dead. When they got to the house, they found the boyfriend hadn't actually gone in. House was locked up tight, windows were shuttered, except it just so happened that the blinds in Carrie's room also got caught on the latch of the window in a kind of a weird way that you could peek through if you had your face right up against the glass. So this boy, when no one answered the door, went and peeked in. Saw what was left of his girlfriend. Then he heard something moving inside, something rustling, shaking around. That's when. So he bolted to the police station fast as he's ever run, he said. Now at this point, says my father, Chief Schaefer was getting agitated, telling the story. Said he and two of his deputies had gone in, pistols drawn, found what everyone knew they'd found. Douglases in pieces. All over the house. There was nothing alive left in the house. Father asked the chief how they'd been killed. At this point, my dad and his friends were less fascinated than disturbed. As he put it, the death of his childhood friend suddenly seemed all too real again. Chief Schaefer said he didn't know precisely what they'd been hacked or torn apart with, only that they'd been hacked and torn apart. He said that not one of the four Douglases was in less than four rooms of the house. Chief said almost, almost as a point of pride that of him and his two deputies, he was the last to lose his lunch. The worst thing was the markings they found in the bodies, teeth marks deep. Sometimes, almost all the flesh on the forearm or a thigh had been gnawed away, down to the bone. Schaefer said, almost sick again, according to my father, that guy must have been at work all night, in the morning, just chewing. One of my father's friends asked Chief Schaefer if they were human bite marks. He said he assumed so, but he was a small-town chief of police, not a forensics guy. The FBI guys did come in, he said. They were, they were confident and reassuring at first until they checked out the corpses in the crime scene. After this, they seemed angry and agitated, eager to leave. 
They took some prefunctory interviews and carried out a few performative examinations of the Douglas house, but then they just packed up and they left. The case remained open two years afterward. The chief said he was sure they never looked. Douglas house was abandoned, of course. No one wanted to buy that place. My father said it was still standing when he moved out as a young man in the mid-70s, but said that the last time he visited home had been torn down. It was when he mentioned how the Douglas house was shuttered up and locked tight after the killings that I remember the Rosaleses. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this. I felt a little chilled then. I started noticing more similarities. Two families, two parents, young children. At least one a teenage girl. My, my mother had never mentioned it, but I began to wonder if Carmela Rosales had a little brother. Families completely ripped apart. The killer slipped into the night. I asked my dad, and sort of dreaded the answer, about where the Douglases lived. He said he didn't even like to say it because it freaked him out, just thinking about it. He said, across the street, two houses down. Emily, his sister, my aunt, could see the house clear from her bedroom window. I swear, I got goose flesh in the moment. I asked, I asked if he or anyone else in the house had noticed anything odd at the Douglas's place that night. He told me that he'd, he'd been at a friend's house that night that had happened, but police questioned his parents and his siblings. All of them swore, blind, they'd never seen or heard anything out of the ordinary. But that a light had been on until the morning, long after the Douglas's had been murdered. I asked him if Chief Schaefer had mentioned anything else. My father said... There was one other thing that, that rattled the chief that he'd seen fit to mention. It's much stranger in Blackhook, a modernish 1950s town with electricity than it was in the Fuente Negra, but on the Douglas's living room windowsill, there sat a single burning lantern without its shade. I didn't know if either of my parents had ever mentioned either of the crimes to the other. I didn't want to freak either of them out. If that wasn't the case. They haven't been married for many years by this point. But I asked my mother if the Rosaleses had a young son. She, she told me that she actually couldn't remember, but it sounded right. Did a bit of research. I'm, I'm no sleuth, so maybe I missed something. But I didn't find much. And there was record of the Douglases' murders on an online archive. Little town papers. A few larger Denver papers. There was remarkably little attention for such a brutal slaying. Nothing on the national scale, and the papers never reported on any of the gruesome details. I saw nothing about the bite marks or the lanterns, only a family of four cruelly murdered. I learned nothing that I hadn't learned from my father. My luck with Fuente Negro was even worse. There was no Fuente Negro anymore. When my mother's family left in the 70s, they did so as part of a larger exodus. By the late 1980s, there were hardly over a hundred people left in town. In the early 1990s, some big-shot land developer in Mexico City bought the land and tore down all the old houses. I found nothing on the Rosaleses or their murders. I wouldn't be surprised if there never was any record at all. And like I've said so many times, this is a tiny little town separated from the outside world by miles of mountains and woods. Likely, it was never recorded in any papers. The only people who could have given me detail of the killings in all of its color would be my grandfather... And the men who broke down the Rosales' door with him, but my grandfather had passed long since when I was a little boy. The men with him that, even I'm sure, are also so many years in their graves. When my mother's generation passes, it would be like the Rosales' never existed at all. A part of me is kind of glad of that. I think I'd, I'd rather not know whether or not poor 
Armella Rosales and her family were found with their flesh torn away and bite marks on their bones. Murders aren't rare. Family murders aren't common, but they happen. Families murdered stealthily in the night with such skill that their neighbors notice nothing at all by a killer who stays with his victims through this morning hours. It must be a whole lot rarer. And rarer still, the scenes of slaughter left with a single burning lantern to illuminate the carnage. I mean, coincidences do happen, even freaky ones. Nothing supernatural, even beyond belief about the whole thing. I, I don't think I'm about to die or anything, but I do find myself a little disturbed. I mean, after all, we're two families, in two different towns, in two different nations, both struck by hauntingly similar tragedies. At very nearly the same time. It seems the only person with any sort of link or connection to both of these incidents is me. Hey there kids, it's me, Mr. Creepypasta, and I just wanted to say thank you for watching today's video. I want to try to wrap this video up quick, so I'm going to let you know about a couple of things real quick. First one is, I'm going on tour. If you want to check out more information about that, head over to creepypasta.shofetti.com. That's creepypasta.shofetti.com. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash mrcreepypasta, and if you'd like to buy some nice warm tea for a dark and stormy story time, Check out etsy.com slash shop slash ivory monocle tea. Sweet dreams, kids. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.